Hey everybody, it's John. I just walked in the door from the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo, and my wife and kids are not home, so I thought I would hurry and record kind of a retrospective of how it went, what my experience was, what my thoughts are, while it was all still kind of fresh in my mind. On the plane ride home, I jotted down some notes, and I'm just recording this sort of off the cuff. Um, I'm not planning on editing it or sending it to Yan to do anything with. I'm just going to probably record it. I might pause even when I need to collect my thoughts or whatever, but I just thought I'd get this all out. So, okay, Friday morning, uh, I get up around 4.45 Friday morning to catch the plane to Nashville. And when my plan all along, I'm just taking a backpack with a couple of change of clothes, and I figure I will just Uber my way around the town. I didn't want to rent a car. I'd never used Uber before, so some friends were showing me how it works the week before, and uh, so that was my plan. But when I landed, I had a text from Chris Sinzak saying, Billy Hardaway is going to be there to pick you up from the airport. Just let him know when you land. I thought that was really class. I was not mentally prepared for that, but it was so great that they went to those lengths. And I mention that because Chris is a class guy, and this was a class thing from start to finish. Um, I had a very sort of a unique experience, I think, compared to everybody else, but there is no question that Chris put his, excuse me, his heart and soul into making this whole thing as nice and pleasant as it could possibly be for all involved. So thank you, Chris, for doing that. Billy shows up to pick me up. I recognize the name, and when I get in his car, I say, do we know each other from somewhere? Turns out he's a listener, and I've interacted with him a little bit over message on Facebook. He made some requests that I hadn't gotten to yet of people he'd like to have on the show. So we had a nice chat. The guy, he's so funny. He works in the Gibson Guitar Factory, and uh, he just talks a mile a minute. And it's all there. The whole weekend, as you can imagine, reached a level of music nerdery that I had never seen before. And I'm obviously a music geek myself, but I'm not really a record collector, and I'm not the hard rock and heavy metal guy that everyone else that was there was. So I don't have as much to contribute to the conversation. I don't know what the B-side of Great White's fourth single was, unfortunately. Um, But that was the kind of conversation that was happening pretty much the whole weekend. Thankfully, Billy was a riot, and uh, so we dropped my stuff off at the hotel, and we went off to meet up with BJ Cramp of Rock and or Roll, Uh, Henning, and I'm forgetting a lot of these people's last names, forgive me, Henning, who is the German guy, he's a fan of Decibel Geek, Uh, he helped... um, he, he participated in helping funding the whole thing. Um, really great guy. I liked him a lot. He's German. He and I hung out a lot. And then Greg Renoff, who uh, wrote a Van Halen book called Van, Van Halen Rising, I believe. Uh, if you listen to the Rock and a Roll podcast, he's been on there a few times. I really liked Greg as well. BJ, if you can believe it, is even more mellow and laconic in person than he is on his show. That was crazy. Um, So anyway, we met up and we went to lunch at a barbecue place called Jack's on Broadway in downtown Nashville. It's right around the corner from the Ryman, the Grand Ole Opry. 
And uh, while we were there, Joe Royland show up, showed up from Sit and Spin. I love Joe. I don't know all these people. BJ and Joe, I know them through faith, Facebook. That's all anyone who was at this thing knows anybody, basically, unless they live in Nashville. So that was really great, catching up with everybody. And then we went back to the hotel, uh, or I did anyway. Billy took me back. And I, I took a nap. Uh, because I had gotten up really early and I called Steve Eddie Rice from Eddie and the Tide on the phone we were going to try and meet up turned out we couldn't so he was busy we just chatted for a little bit and then also former guest Robert White Johnson lives there and he was going to be participating in the panel the next day so I wanted to try and meet up with him and luckily he and his wife offered to come pick me up from the hotel and we all went out to dinner and that was great uh we were gone like three hours it was one of those times you know when you you're with people and you're just you get into the deep stuff you know we're talking some politics and some spirituality and our upbringings and the conversation just gets deep and meaningful and therapeutic and robert is more way he's like a conservative republican and religious person, and I'm not necessarily, I'm not really like that, although I'm not really fanatic in any one way. Um, so it's not even that we had a lot in common in that way. It was more just, you know, heart to heart, meeting people where they're at and loving them no matter who they are. And I really, really loved that conversation. It was so nice. And uh, I just came away refreshed, you know? Uh, so I got back. I, um, was kind of in the mood for some dessert, so I walked across the street to the Cracker Barrel, and I had a hot fudge sundae. And then I went back to my room. Everybody Now, because we were gone kind of late, everyone else had gone off to a concert. These three like local hard rock bands were performing, and I kind of missed it because I came back from dinner after they, everyone else was already out, which was kind of fine. So, I here's the deal. I knew going into this that I was going to be the low man on the celebrity totem pole. Um, not that many. I didn't know that many people there. I I like hard rock and heavy metal, but I don't listen to all those podcasts. And I know for a fact no one listens to mine. So I felt kind of odd. I mean, I I was actually not planning on going to this thing because I just thought I, no one knows who I am. No one listens to me. I'm not I don't listen that much to them. I don't know what I would have to offer. I think it would be just be odd. And so I wasn't planning on going. But then Chris and BJ sort of really gave me the hard sell and encouraged me to come because they were hoping that the thing would be a little more diverse and not entirely hard rock and heavy metal. And um so they convinced me and I found an inexpensive uh airline ticket so I decided to go but I went in with very clear eyes knowing that nobody was really going to be there to see me um, they were all there to see the other celebrities basically uh, it's a little odd to think of podcasters in terms of celebrity but that's kind of what it is you know these guys are sort of you know they got their listeners and their followers and the respect of their colleagues and all that kind of stuff that's sort of what it was like in our own little way you know Anyway, okay, so I, let me check my notes here. Um, 
Okay, I think that's pretty much day one. Um, okay, so the next, I, I go to bed. And the next morning I get up and I, the venue is like across the parking lot from where the hotel I'm staying in is. And I get there and the setup is different than what they told us. Um, originally all the, all the podcasters were going to have tables around the periphery uh, with some record vendors and so forth in the middle. And I, it was basically reversed. So there wasn't any room to, uh, from anyway, there was no room for me. I think I was the. I'm, in fact, I'm sure I'm the only. I was the only podcaster there that didn't have a table. Uh, everybody else, I think, had a place to set up, and I didn't. And that was fine with me, honestly, because I was. I think probably the only one who didn't bring any swag either. A lot of people brought uh, stickers and buttons and some T-shirts for sale and stuff like that. And they planned on recording. <clears throat> you know, live feeds from the expo all day. And I had no intention of doing any of that. I thought about bringing some tchotchkes, but I just thought, who's, again, who wants my sticker? <laughs> There's, no one does. No one's going to want my button. And I, no offense to anyone else, I'm pretty sure a lot of people went home with almost as much swag as they brought. So I was kind of glad that I didn't. Um, and I wasn't planning on broadcasting from there because as I mentioned on Facebook recently I don't really know how, what everyone's appetite is to know what's happening there and I figure there's plenty of other people to tell you the story I, I you probably don't care or want to hear it from me so I just didn't bother so I kind of just floated around um, uh, just kind of watched you know everyone was very hyper intensely focused on broadcasting and stuff so I'll give you some thoughts on some of the people I met First of all, Aaron Camaro is pretty much exactly what you think he is. Uh, he's shorter than I imagined, but everyone is compared to me, obviously. But he looks and talks just like you think he's going to. He, I didn't see much of him. He sort of blended in. I think he was, and I maybe I have this wrong, and if I do, I, this is no disrespect to anybody, but I think this was very much more Chris's thing. Chris, not his thing, but he was the one doing 99% of the work to put this thing off all day. Any Anytime there's a, hey, so this is wrong, or this guy needs this, or what about that, or whatever, it was always go talk to Chris. So poor Chris was just running around all day trying to help everybody and fix everything. Whereas Aaron was kind of more socializing, hanging out with people and stuff like that. Uh, so some of the stars, there was Ken Mills, who is... One of the sweetest, jolliest, most endearing people I've ever met. He is so sweet. Um, unfortunately, his health isn't great, and so it was hard for him to get around. I felt really bad, but he was like the celebrity. Everybody wanted to be around Ken Mills, and I don't actually know him that well. He helped me about a week ago. Um, just so you guys know, I'm getting a microphone and changing how I'm recording the podcast, so they're going to be a lot better sound quality from now on, at least especially the international interviews will. And so he helped me get set up with a lot of stuff, and he was just the sweetest guy in the world, but that's all I know from him. So everybody else wanted pictures with Ken Mills, Every, everybody, it's gra everyone's gravitating toward Ken Mills, uh, understandably so. 
the Pods and Sods guys, Craig and Eric. Um, before I went, I really thought these are the guys that I'm going to sort of bond with because we focus more on the pop side of things. And I did. Uh, Pat Francis was sort of texting me throughout the day. You got to meet Craig Smith. You're going to love him. You guys will have a lot in common. And we did. Craig was very, uh, I would say, hyper-focused on what he was doing. Um, you know, broadcasting live, documenting every panel, every single thing, uh, interviewing all these people. He was hung up on his own, seeing his own versions of celebrities. He loved all those people. So I actually didn't end up talking to Craig quite as much as I thought I might. Uh, Eric, on the other hand, was a lot more laid back. And so I, I chatted, chit-chatted with him more often than I did Craig. But I like them both a lot. Uh, Michael Butler from what rock and roll geek he and i only talked for a minute but it was funny because we were both sort of commiserating how no one cared that we were there and um he i think felt kind of angry he brought a lot of stuff and had it all set up but he felt like he was sort of shoved in the corner of the room but then i talked to him this morning as i was leaving we were both in the hotel lobby and he ended up having a great time and i think once more people came through uh he felt a lot more love as the day wore on. So I was glad about that. Um, otherwise, it was mostly people I didn't know that well. Um, podcasts I didn't listen to, I don't listen to that often. Uh, I got Brian Sword from the Double Stop. I love him. He was also, I don't, he seemed busy. I don't know what he was busy doing, but he was always kind of flitting around, running somewhere, maybe to help someone, maybe to do something. I don't exactly know, but I never was able to like, sit and talk to Brian Sword, and I was bummed because I really wanted to. Really, BJ was the only guy that I knew at all, and I only know him because we've been interacting the longest, which is about two years, and he used to be best friends with my brother-in-law. That's how I even got introduced to him. Uh, but he too, you know, was... It was nice to see him, but then, again, I... And I'm not... I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I was nobody's first choice when it came to who to meet and the celebrity factor. Everybody else, they all know each other really well. You know, I know a couple of people sort of, so they were all really happy to bond and see each other. I was kind of more like the afterthought and I knew that going in that it would be that way. So that it's okay with me. I, you know, I wasn't hurt or anything like that. I was mentally prepared for things to be like that. Uh, let me see here. So, um, because I didn't have a table, I just kind of wandered around. Um, there was a stage on one end with chairs for, uh, so people could watch the panels and things like that. So I would mostly just sit in those chairs and there were panels throughout the day. So I would kind of watch a lot of those. Thankfully, there were a handful of people who actually are fans of the hustle. I couldn't believe it. Um, I mentioned Billy and Henning, uh, the German guy. He listens to the show. I could not believe it. He was quoting interviews that we've done. It meant so much to me. And I was talking to a guy named Joe, and I was talking to a guy named Michael, who was telling me how he was getting choked up when I told the story at the end of the Steve Eddie Rice episode about my boys and I bonding over one of his songs. And then there was Jay, I think he was a truck driver. Jay and I hung out a lot. I'm blanking on most people's last names, and some of them I couldn't hear what they were very well, so I'm not even going to try. Um, Jay brought me a gift. 
he he had found I think at a at a yard sale this box set called Left of the Dial, which is like. 80s college and alternative underground rock. I've always wanted to buy this box set and never done it. He found it and he gave it to me as a gift. Like he brought it from Chicago or wherever it was he was driving in from specifically to give to me. I could not I could not believe this. So it was so sweet and endearing and humbling to meet people who care about what Yan and I are trying to do here. And I'm just so grateful for you guys. I I don't, I, you know, I know people listen, but I assume it's my family and friends, you know, and a few other people who heard about me on Rock Solid or something like that. I don't know who really listens, you know, intently, regularly. I really don't know, unless I hear from you. And so to find out that there's people out there who listen and knew who I was and we, you know, the whole, the theme of the whole thing is like hearing the voice that you recognize coming out of the actual body of the person whose voice it is. That was happening all day. And to think that I was that guy for some of these people was just, it was really humbling. So it was so great to see all of you. And I'm so grateful. And without a doubt, the two episodes that were brought up absolutely the most were No One Can Still Believe the Fee Way Bill interview. And everyone wanted to know why I was so apologetic about the Jesus Jones interview. That those were the two big ones, uh, it's, which is funny. So anyway, thank you everybody for all your kind words. Okay, let me see here. Let me make sure I got everybody I wanted to say. Um, I um, so when I so okay. So the, sec- the the actual day, there were some panels. I watched them. It was very inside baseball, I thought. You know, people kind of, a lot of inside jokes. Remember when we were on your podcast talking about the guy from the other podcast, and then he came on your podcast, and then we were joking. And remember the joke he said when we were all getting drunk? Or remember when we went out for beers, and he said that this podcast w- reminded him of that? It was a lot of that kind of talk, which... Maybe I'm just too separate. It wasn't that interesting to me, even though everyone, again, was so nice. And you could tell that they were having a moment. And I was really happy for everybody that they got to have their moment. You know, all these podcasters were there and feeling like celebrities and broadcasting live and getting to chum around with each other. It was such a sweet environment. I was... Even though I was not participating so much, it was really great to see them get to have their moments. And you realize that a lot of these people have, you know, their big personalities and they've got listeners who love their personalities and people who listen to them because of it. And it was really great to see. I was really happy for all those guys. Um, But it is not interesting watching people do a podcast. They're just sitting at a table talking to each other and... um, it, 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 it's not that interesting to me. So uh, the cool panels were, there was the reunion of the um, Heavy Metal Parking Lot guys. Two of the people from that movie were there. And um, that was really interesting. Oh, three if you count the filmmaker, the guy who made the documentary. That was a lot of fun. We all watched the movie. Crazy. I felt a little bad. There weren't as many, uh, there wasn't, there weren't as many questions afterwards as probably they thought there would be. But I think that's because they sort of answered everything in their, you know, chit-chatting after the movie. 
So um, that was a lot of fun. And then I got to, oh, during all of this, uh, I got to interview Gary Corbett, which was great. I, I was really glad that I got that chance to do that because apparently Gary had mentioned before going that he really wanted to be interviewed, but he, he gets asked to talk about Kiss a lot and Hard Rock. And he was saying, I think, this is what Chris Sinzak told me, that he said, I would, you know, I want to be interviewed, but I'd rather, if possible, talk more about the pop side of my career, which of course is more in my wheelhouse. So Chris thought it would be, I'd be the guy, the right guy to do that. And I was so glad that I did. So we did an interview on microphones. I, the Pods and Sods guys uh, recorded it. So as soon as Craig sends me the file, I'll send it to you guys. It was during a panel or something, so it was very loud. I hope the sound is worthwhile at all. I don't know for sure. But it was very loud in the room, people on microphones doing other things. Hopefully you can hear Gary and I, because it was a really fun conversation. And then there was the songwriting panel that I hosted. And I was really honored to do that. So, as I mentioned before, when I got invited to come to this thing, and I was sort of hesitant... Um, when I agreed to come, I said, well, I'll inv I'm going to invite people who've been on my show that I want to see and that sort of diversify things a lot. And Walter Egan and Robert White Johnson had been on my show. And I was eager to meet, meet them anyway because I've been Facebook friends with them and everything. And they agreed to come. They agreed to come to the, to the uh, expo. But at that point, the, the plan was just, oh, great, have them come, and then they can be interviewed and by all these other podcasters. And, and I thought, that doesn't sound very interesting to me, you know, to have, I'm not going to stick my neck out and have Walter Egan come to this thing so that he can stand around and watch people podcast. That doesn't sound very interesting to me. I, I want them, I want to give them a platform to shine. I want them to feel like VIPs. That's why I'm inviting them to this thing. So I arranged for the songwriter panel. And thankfully, Chris and BJ thought it was a great idea. And Chris helped me out by getting Gunnar Nelson and Anthony Corder from Tora Tora on the panel as well. And it was wonderful. As I had expected, time went really quickly. I had planned at least three questions for each person that were specific to them. And then I had like 10 other questions that I was going to ask if I needed more time and planned on doing a Q&A with the audience uh, if there was time and there wasn't for any of those things. I barely scratched the surface. I think everyone got two, maybe three questions. But it was really great. Anthony told a very emotional story. Um, it, everyone was kind of getting goosebumps and a little choked up. Just about how, uh, you know, when things sort of came to an end for Tora Tora, the advice he got about just, look, you're a songwriter. Just keep doing what you do. And and the the, the level of fulfillment he gets in his life from doing that, it was really, really touching. And then Walter told, of course, some great stories about Stevie and Lindsay and Graham Parsons and Emmylou Harris and Riding Magnet and Steel. I felt really bad. He put, he has a new album that just came out, I think, last week. Um, and we were going to talk about it, and we didn't. there wasn't time. And so Walter may come back on just for a short interview here in the next little while to talk about the new album. Um, and then Gunner was full of passion. He was he is a great interview. By the way, I'm trying to get Gunner and Anthony on the show for later, but um, 
He just gave the best answers. He's so full of passion. You can tell he's done it a lot, and he's good at it, and he's a personality. I loved it. It was, <laughs> uh, and then it, one thing that was funny, he came with his wife, Lila, who's beautiful, as you would imagine. And um, he had mentioned at one point in the interview, in the panel discussion, being in a hot tub with a bunch of, with like eight hotties in Salt Lake City after a show. I'm from Salt Lake City, of course, and this reminded me of when I interviewed Johnny Vatos from Oingo Boingo and how he was saying that, who are still huge in Utah, and he was saying, believe it or not, Mormon girls are the best girls to party with because they're just crazy, which is so counterintuitive, everything I know about Mormonism, but that's the way it goes. And so I mentioned that, and it turns out Lila, his wife, grew up Mormon, and she kind of confirmed it. What was interesting is that for the rest, of, for the next little while, she kept, like, feeling as if she had to, like, apologize to me for not being Mormon. I'm like, look, I don't care. I'm not that hardcore myself. I don't care what anyone is or whether you're in it or not in it. You don't have to apologize to me for anything. And she's like, you know, Mormons, I really think Mormons are great people. It just wasn't for me. And I'm like, that's perfectly fine. It doesn't have to be for you. It's not even always for me. I don't, it's fine. You don't have to apologize. But she kept feeling like she had to apologize. It was really sweet. And then Robert Y. Johnson told these great stories about, you know, writing Celine Dion's hit, Where Does My Heart Beat Now, and Brickyard Road for Leonard Skinner, and people were just fanboying out over all four of those guys. And I loved it, and I have to admit, so, okay, that was pretty much the end. After that, it was, it was my least favorite part of the whole thing. Whoever came on stage afterwards, and I don't know exactly who they are, but I'm not going to even say... Uh, because I'm not sure, and it was a couple of hard rock, heavy metal podcaster guys, and they go up on the stage as we're all walking off the stage, and they are so loud and obnoxious and irreverent, which is fine for them and their audience, but in that moment, it completely killed my buzz. Uh, the five of us who had just been on stage for the panel, we're trying to talk to each other and find a quiet spot to say thank you and hugs and a picture and everything it was awful you know when you we know when one of those cars drive by with like the stereo thumping and it's crazy for a few seconds it was like that except the car didn't drive by it just stayed there in the room louder than you can stand and it was it was really killing my buzz personally so anyway everybody left i had not eaten um <laughs> Maybe you guys can relate to this. Um, I, because I hadn't eaten and uh, everyone was in such close quarters and it was loud, you're talking in people's faces a lot. And I'm always hyper, I was always hyper worried about my breath. And no one had gum or mints or anything like that. But when you're talking it to people's faces because it has to, you have to be louder than what's happening. I was so nervous that my breath was just horrible. Um, so anyway, I went across the street to get some food. And when I came back, I kind of roamed around for a minute. And the rest of the night was going to be like four or five hours of people recording podcasts on the stage. And, um, you know, no offense again, but that just didn't sound that interesting to me. So I said goodbye and, and I uh, went back to the hotel. And I thought maybe I would meet up with everyone later for... Uh, Raven, this old uh, 80s hard rock band, Raven was putting on a show. 
and I thought I'd meet up with everybody, but I didn't. Once I got back to the hotel, I just felt like uh, disconnecting. It had been a long day, as I can only imagine guys like Chris would have felt. So that's pretty much what it was. Um, it was a lot of chubby dudes in black t-shirts, um, a lot of tattoos, a lot of goatees, a lot of black shoe polished hair. Um, I bought, let's see, Ace Freely's manager was there who wrote Ace's book, John Astronomy, I think was his name. I'd always meant to read that book and I thought, well, what better than to buy it right here from the guy who wrote it and sort of help him feel validated. That was something that I really felt strongly about. I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that the people who came all this way to sell something felt like it was sort of worth the the effort on their part. So I bought John's book on Ace. I bought Greg Renoff's book on Van Halen. Um, I really liked Greg a lot, and I'd always meant to re- read, read that book, and I thought, again, who better to buy it from than the man himself after he came all this way to sell the book? It was funny. He sold it for 25 bucks, autographed, and I said, can I get it for 20 if you don't autograph it? We had a good laugh over that. But anyway, so I, got, I came away with those books, bought a couple CDs, and... Um, I felt bad. One of the record vendors said that it was in no way worth his time to come all this way to sell. He had a lot of CDs, which, of course, I'm probably the only one that really wanted to buy CDs. So it wasn't worth it for him, but I talked to one other record vendor, and it was totally worth it for him. So who knows what everyone's experiences were. That's pretty much it. Um, I flew home this morning. I got up. I went to the lobby in the hotel. Michael Butler was there. We chit-chatted a while. We talked a lot about Dan Baird who had been a member of the Georgia Satellites, and his health isn't good. And I have always been meaning to reach out to Dan Baird uh, to come on my show, and I just hadn't done it yet. So we were chit-chatting about him, and um, that was pretty much it. So I, um, let's see, would I do this again? I would. I thought it was great. It was really fun. I'm sure that it meant more to the people who are more sort of, uh, you know, in the community than I am, I can tell that a lot of people had a lot of fun. Um, I don't know what their expectations were. Hopefully they felt like they sold enough money's worth of stuff to make it worth their trip, or they, you know, got to interact with who they want to interact with. Hopefully everybody felt like it was worth their effort. I think at the end of the day, when you factor in hotel and airfare and food and the stuff I bought and parking and all that kind of stuff, I probably spent $700 maybe of my own money to come out, which I didn't mind doing. I think some people, because of the like GoFundMe or Kickstarter or whatever it was they were doing, I think some people got some of their travel and expenses paid for. I purposely did not... Uh, want that because I didn't want to feel like I was beholden to anybody. I like I said, I know that you know I was not a main attraction for anyone over there, and I didn't want money to go to me when I can afford this trip, thankfully, and others may not be able to, and they're the ones that people really wanted to see. So I didn't feel right about taking any money to travel out there. I was okay putting it on my own dime, and it was worth it for me to. Uh, it meant a lot to me to meet BJ, even though I didn't get as much time with him as I wanted. Uh, it meant a lot to me to go to dinner with Robert White Johnson and his wife, Mary. That was a really meaningful evening. Um, and the 
you know, interviewing Gary Corbett and hosting the panel were big time for me. And so if I were, would I do this again? I hope they do it. I hope they continue to do it. I hope it diversifies. Uh, if I didn't have something to do at the expo, I would have been pretty lost. Because um, like I said, I didn't have a table. I wasn't broadcasting. I didn't have anything to give away. No one really knew who I was. All day, I'm like, show, now what do you do? You're, the hustle. What's that? Oh, we do, a, it's a, on the, you know, the ups and downs of rock. And every time I explain it to someone, they're like, wow, that's a really fascinating idea. Who have you had on the show? And I think, well, I never know how to answer that question because I don't know what people are into, you know? To some people, the lead singer of the Kane Gang is someone they've never heard of. But to other people, that's their, their, their favorite band. So I don't really know what gets people excited, you know? I mean, we've had Fee Waybill and Ian Anderson and Don McLean and stuff like that. But, you know, are those the names to get people excited? I don't necessarily go after great big names. Um, because that's not really the point. So I, every time I'd pull up the, the hustle on my phone and I'd let them scroll through and you've had John Parr. No way. Oh, you had Jesus Jones. I love Jesus Jones. So it was a lot of that. So, uh, if I were to go again, I probably would. I, um, would try it. It's not cheap, which isn't easy. And the and I probably would only go if I had something to do, if I hosted another panel or I was involved in somehow, in some way in making it happen or contributing to the overall thing. Um, if I hadn't had those things this time, I think I probably would have felt disappointed just because, like I said, I was the low guy in the totem pole. No one really cared about whether they saw me or not. Um, let me see here. Let me go through the last of my thoughts. Uh, I think it was a decent turnout. I don't. I, it was hard to tell because some people were guests and some people hung out all day and some people just kind of came in and out. Some people were vendors. I don't know for sure. I'm guessing maybe a couple hundred people went through there. Um, one of the biggest names that I forgot to mention, Mark Slaughter was there. I only saw him like across the room. I never talked to him, but... He got a huge response. Gunnar Nelson got a huge response. Uh, Michael Wagner and Toby Wright got a huge response. There were other people there, I'm sure, but I didn't, I didn't meet them or get introduced to them. A lot of people, if I don't know what they look like, there were just a lot of people there who looked like 80s rockers. So some of them were podcasters, some of them were fans, some of them were guests. I couldn't really tell. Uh, let me see. I think that's pretty much it. Um, so I just have to say, I'm really grateful for Chris Sinsack. He worked so hard. He worked his brains out to make this thing a special experience. And it was. And it especially was for a lot of other people. And I'm really glad that they had, I think, the experience that they wanted. It was a true bonding moment for so many people. He worked so hard and I'm glad and then BJ I know supported him in a lot of ways and it was I'm really grateful for those two I'm really grateful for Billy that he drove me around a lot that first day and all those sweet people who listened to the hustle and had kind words to say to me you guys meant so much to me thank thank you so much for saying the kind words that you did I came away from this experience very grateful for my life 
And for what we do at The Hustle, I the thing with me is I feel like a podcast is an opportunity to educate. And that's why I don't make myself really the focus or the personality of the podcast. It's more about, I think my talent comes in getting great stories out of people that are maybe unassuming that you wouldn't know have these stories. That's what I try to do. I'm trying to educate and more than anything, honor them and and shine a light on them that I think is deserved. And I feel more strongly than ever that we're doing a good job doing that. And it's what we should be doing. And so I came away from this experience grateful that I have a great family and a great job and good people and Yan. And um, I'm really thankful for, I have a good life. And that's what this, that's one thing that this taught me. Not everyone does. Um, but it was really special. So that's the deal. Now, let me see if I can figure out how to turn this recording off. Okay, that's it, folks. If you have any questions or if I missed anything, you let me know.